All right, so during the Advent season, we light candles, and this has sort of been tradition for centuries past. And this week is sort of unique in that we have a pink candle. If you weren't familiar with it, the first week was all about uh, the hope or the, the peace of God, then the hope of God in the following week, and then this week we're talking about joy. And Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. And as we light uh, the third candle, which is different, uh, there's a moment of, and the reason why it's different is all the other candles are like all about preparing, well, preparing your heart. Look at that. Prepare, don't, don't, it's like birthday candles. All right. All the rest of the candles are about getting your heart ready, sort of kind of a contrition and like uh, saying no to yourself and denial so that we can prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. But this is all about joy. And so this third week, we light the candle of joy to remind us that it's joy to the world. The Lord has come. So let's pray and remind ourselves that even as we're preparing our hearts, for the coming of Jesus again, that our hopes are not focused on the darkness or the pain, but on the joy that's in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for the joy that is in you. We cry out. We sing to you. We have great hope in you, and you are doing great, great things. Thank you, Jesus, as we sing, as you prepare our hearts, as we look forward to you coming for us again. Would there be joy in our souls that rests All right, good morning, everybody. How we doing? All right. My name is Chris Pleckenpole. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church. And one of the things, if you're watching online, so grateful uh, that you're watching. And if you're normal, typically an outside service person this week, thank you for going back online or coming inside and joining us. Whenever it hits into the 30s, we go for inside or online. So uh, just in case you're wondering how we make that decision, uh, when the weather's in the 30s, we go inside. All right, so um, I know that probably makes us weak and undisciplined. I'm sorry, but uh, it's cold. All right, so one of the things I want you to know is that we love questions, and hopefully I get, oh, nope, I don't have questions. Uh, There we go. Well, if you tune into Pastor Plex podcast, you guys have heard about that. How many people have been watching Pastor Plex podcast or listening? Okay, we got... We are now over 100 downloads a week. I know, I know, I know. It's like crazy. How did this happen? Uh, yeah, we are uh, taking over the podcast world, so uh, tune in. And the, the, on the bottom of the screen, you should have some questions or number here that we will answer. All right. Now, yesterday uh, was a, a big day for me. And if you know what I'm talking about, I'm a graduate of West Point, And so the Army-Navy game every year is a big deal. And so uh, yesterday we were supposed to win, <clears throat> and we didn't. In fact, um, the way I would put it here is, how do I have help? No. Can you change it? Maybe not. All right, so here's the Army-Navy game expectation versus reality curve, okay? You guys know this? You guys know how this works. So when expectation meets reality, it's like, okay, life is good. It's like I tr- hit the light switch, the lights come on. We, yesterday the expectation, we would thump Navy. They had a three and eight record. We have an eight and three record. They deserve to be pulverized into small pieces of dust. And that was what was supposed to happen. My expectation was supposed to meet reality. 
However, it didn't, it turned out to be a close game and it, my expectation was way up here. And then the reality of a loss was down here. And this is called the disappointment cord. All right. This is a math term here, disappointment cord that strikes at the very soul of those who love army football. And it's very raw for me right now. Okay. So I'm still dealing. And so this is what happened yesterday is there was supposed to be adulation and joy, or at the very minimum, uh, that's what we were supposed to win, that the lights happened. And then it got a little exciting, and then we didn't pull it out. And so that made everybody uh, in life very sad, as they should have been at my house. Okay, so now, why am I telling you this? Because, because I have a feeling when it comes to Christmas, you're gonna, many of us have the same issue about expectation and reality, right? The expectation is Christmas is going to happen, uh, and you're going to get a zero. Like, you won't, there will be no, like, like you won't be like, woohoo! It'll be like, aren't you glad that's over with, right? Like, that, if, if all the relatives show up, or you make it to your place of destination where you're going, and there's no travel delays, none of that stuff happened, and it sort of goes according to plan, it'll be like, chalk that up for a win, you know, no, not great adulation, no one's coming. Are you guys angry at the commercials where somebody gets, like, a new car? It's like, oh, I surprised you. It's like, oh, we're in debt now. You know, like, I don't know how you, anyway, sorry, it's not... So like maybe, maybe that's what you were expecting. Oh, we're going to have a whole bunch of debt for Christmas. Okay, sorry. All right, so what happens, though, is you, we have expectation that Christmas is going to be awesome. Like, especially if you're a kid, I'm going to get the name the thing this year, okay? Uh, I, it could be the latest Pokemon uh, gifting. It could be Minecraft, Roblox, whatever the thing is, at least for my eight, six-year-old and four-year-olds. It, we still care about stuffed animals at our house. And so there's an expectation that stuffed animals better be awesome. Okay. And then the reality hits and it's not the right one. Has anybody ever experienced a child with it's not the right one? <laughs> but it's the, but it's the, it's the wrong one. And you're like, what did I do wrong? Does anyone, do I have any parents who know exactly what I'm talking about? Okay. Can I get an amen from the congregation? All right. <laughs> And so what happens, it, Christmas becomes what? A great disappointment. And there is sadness about, I didn't get what I want. Okay, this, can anyone relate to this so far? Okay, okay so, so then what some of us do is because we know it's going to be really bad, is we put our expectation all the way down here because you got to prepare for WSC, worst case scenario, okay? You're like, it's going to be awful. The plane's going to be late. It's going to get canceled. It's going to be late. And you walk around pre-Christmas. It's like, it's going to be awful. It's going to be the worst. And you're just not a joy to be around. And if anything actually good happens, you're like, wow, I can't believe that happened. Well, at least it's not. And, and everyone's like, why are you Scrooge? And you're like, because I know the reality of my Christmas past. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, didn't know where this, <laughs> I didn't realize I had this much energy for that. Um, but all right, Clarissa must put something extra in the coffee. All right, so, but, but then kind of what the hope is, the reason why you kind of walk around like Scrooge is because like it might be joyful if you're prepared for the worst case scenario. Okay, now, so I want us to kind of have joy no matter what the circumstance of Christmas. We light the candle of joy, candle of joy. And so I feel like we don't, like when it comes to, uh, we can lose our joy at Christmas when we're overwhelmed by life, and particularly evil. You would say, listen, 
Somebody's plotting and the planes cancel. Somebody at ERCOT's not doing their job and there it is like some demonic possession to make the entire grid go down this Christmas. There's no, that's not a prophetic thing. This is just a, sorry. So a lot of people are getting a little nervous. Like I knew something. I don't. Okay. But what happens when we look at our circumstances, when we look at things that are going around and we go like, evil is winning. Christmas is losing. Okay. And listen, if we can get just even go a tad more serious, like a lot of us have been affected by death. And if you were to look at what's like Christmas, when you when you when you think of Christmas, there was somebody that's supposed to be here and they're not. And Christmas isn't the same because that somebody always made Christmas so special. And and you get overwhelmed because you're like, no, no, you don't understand. Christmas is supposed to be. And you fill in that blank, but you can't because that blank is a void and it's a hole because that person's gone, okay? Or, or perhaps <laughs> we can lose our joy at Christmas when overwhelmed by hell. And because we're at church and we talk about hell and stuff here, which makes everyone just a little bit nervous. It's like, it's Christmas, Chris. We don't go there. And especially when at your Christmas and the, things get a little like, why do you believe in that Jesus stuff? And now we have the little, you know, like... You know, you voted differently. Someone has vax, somebody's not vax, somebody's not mass, somebody's not va- mass. And so then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's because you believe in the hellfire and brimstone. And that all of a sudden that joy is out the window because the dinner table conversation took a bizarre left turn. And there you are trying to defend the, do- defend the doctrine of hell. And you wouldn't even know that you were just showing up to eat some turkey. <laughs> all right. So I, I feel like this is what happens. We can o- be overwhelmed by a lot of this. And so, man, I, I wanted to kind of... <laughs> We, remember, we're in Advent, but we're also in Revelation. Isn't that fun? Yeah, you, you can only combine those two at Christmas when you think of cool things like the Advent of the King. Advent means the coming, right? The coming. And usually it's mean to turn the, uh, in terms of Jesus, little baby Jesus, which has been made famous in Talladega Nights. And a lot of people like to keep uh, Jesus as little baby Jesus because then they can have power and control and pet his little head and think he's really cute. And they don't like the King Jesus who then tells us how to run our lives. Like, like it's a little awkward. We don't like that. Jesus, stay a baby. Okay. And so what happens, we're going to kind of combine those two, looking back to what Jesus did in the incarnation. It's a really beautiful, amazing thing. God became a man, but then also he's coming to reign and rule over us because he designed us. He made us, and he's ultimately going to give us a whole bunch of peace that overcomes evil, death, and hell. So that's where we're going. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20. So if you can open up your Bibles, I'm going to pray for us that God's word might be proclaimed and his spirit might settle down on us. Jesus, thank you for an opportunity to gather, to be excited about all the things that you're excited about. We worship you for that. Would you bless this time this morning? As we sing the songs, as we hear your word, as our heart is uh, maybe pricked a little bit to trust in you more. Do work this morning, Jesus. Make Christmas all about you and not about us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter 20, in case you're wondering where Revelation 20 is, way back in the Bible, and uh, it come, 20 specifically comes after 19, where Jesus uh, destroys the beast and the prophet, throws them into 
hell, okay? So that's where we left off. And so then we're kind of continuing. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Remember, one thing we've been trying to establish is there's no dualism within the heavenly realm. Do you guys know what dualism is a theological term, which means it's like good versus evil. And there is no battle. You don't need a fight scene for that because Jesus always wins with the word of his mouth. In fact, we're going to see that again this week like we saw it last week. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent. Let's think, where is ancient? Where have you heard ancient serpent before Genesis chapter 3? Good job. Genesis 3 is where the ancient serpent comes and deceives Adam and Eve to not trust God's word, but to trust his word so that they could become like God, which is what Satan wants to bring everyone down with. Okay, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years? And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. I mean, this is almost like a Ghostbusters moment where like he literally sticks him into the vault, seals the vault, and he can't get out until he lets him out. But look, what's, what's the primary job of Satan? To deceive the nations, as he did back in Genesis 3, as he does all the time, as he's doing in your marriage, as he's doing at your workplace, as he is doing to make you think that your battle is against flesh and blood and not against the spiritual forces of evil, which is why he likes to make everyone think he doesn't exist. It's a great strategy. And so then you get angry at the person you love the most, and you treat the ones you love the most the worst, especially at the time when you should be happy. So they might not deceive the nations any longer. Good news for us. Until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. To which you're like, why? <laughs> like, do you ever read the Bible and be like, you know, listen, God, I, listen, I, I appreciate your plans and all. Uh, you know, listen, I, I, I'm down with a lot of this stuff, but why? Like, like you won. You could just keep, put your foot on the... The gas, let's push through. It's like, you've seen the end of the show, the villain, you know, that moment where like, just shoot him. I I always go to Austin Powers. Just kill him right now. You can kill him right now. We can end this. Why do we have to linger in this moment? All right. And I'm going to explain, this is like cliffhanger, right? I'm going to explain that in a little bit. Uh, But I want you to get the point here is that Christians rejoice. Jesus has power over evil. All right, I, I, need you, I need you to get your head in this because, again, you're having a situation right now. Some of you are having a, you are having a situation right now where you think the problem is the person that you work for, work with, married to, stuck with, okay? Like, that's where you think. And what I want you to realize is that Jesus has power over that. No dualism. Because what happens in dualism is we try to figure out what we need to do. What lever do I pull to win, to make my circumstances turn out the way I think they should go? Am I right? Okay, watch. Here, here's, okay. Several years ago, I lived in uh, Colorado in my uh, final year in the military. And uh, I had a friend of mine that went to church who was, um, what's the best way to put that? Uh, not all there. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, he would talk in, like, half sentences and then always go in a spiral loop of, like, the world was against him. You guys, you guys with me? 
like conspiracy, like beyond like QAnon, like we're like beyond that, like conspiracy to the nth degree, okay? And um, in fact, so much so that he would make threats online and he, you know, (laughs) he'd be one of those church people, right? Like, oh, let me minister to you. And then he would always like feel like he was the victim, like the government was always trying to play this grand plot on him and, and he didn't wear a tinfoil hat in public, but I was sure that he did somewhere. And he would say, he would go on a loop on this one um, phrase that it just, it's like almost eerie how it sticks in my heart and my soul. He would say, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Chris, what am I supposed to do? And even when he'd write me letters from prison, it would have like four lines. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And eventually, obviously he went to prison because the FBI was, he would make threats online and it was not healthy and he would stalk people and weird stuff. Anyway, but his, his whole point was his life was so bad. He was such a victim of all that life was bringing. He couldn't figure out what he was supposed to do, what lever he would needed to pull. To which you're like, Chris, that was a crazy person that does not relate at all, which I would normally go, yeah, you're right. That is that was just a bizarre one-off. However, I got to seminary uh, shortly after that. And, you know, sem- not to saying everybody at seminary is like stable, okay? But, you know, these are like future pastor people and all that, right? And so in general, you're like, eh, they might be like leg up. So I'm sitting in, in this, uh, a friend of mine that I actually gone to West Point with, he, and I was like, wow, man, hey, we were in the same Greek class, and, uh, and he was married, and he's like, yeah, um, would you, and I was single at the time, he's like, hey, would you mind come talking to my wife, you know, give us some marriage counseling? I was like, why not? What could go wrong? And, uh, and so uh, I go to his house, and we, we talk, and uh, ultimately, th- the same phrase came up. It was, it was like, like just a moment of like creepiness. He goes, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I'm just going to lay on the floor. I'm going to let her walk all over me because that's what's going to happen anyway. What am I supposed to do? And he was like, oh man, oh man. Okay, and so that was guy that went to prison, guy that was in seminary, and not to throw anybody to the bus, but about several times in marriage counseling here, I've had somebody say to me, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? It's that insanity loop. Okay, and I want to let you know what that is. Here it is, here it is. I am in control. The illusion of control is mine. And I'm going to figure out I'm smart enough. I, I have the enough skill set in my repertoire. And if I work hard enough and I use my brain, I will get the circumstance I have always deserved. Are you with me? This is the insanity loop. Because it puts you in control, and that's all you're living in the illusion that you actually have some control. Now, that doesn't re- absolve you of responsibility for, for what you do and, and how you live, but the reality is that God is in control, and the number one thing we need to do is stop saying, not get into what am I supposed to do, to do loop. I need to go, what am I supposed to do to Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. It will get you out of that loop. No, no, no. I, you're not hearing me. Because somebody here is going, no, you, Chris, you don't understand. I can trust Jesus. That just means be a doormat. No, no, it doesn't. It means let Jesus fight your battle. Because what's happened is you have stopped praying and you've started controlling. You have stopped activating your faith and you've started living in fear. 
You've started to say there is that great conspiracy, I'm the ultimate victim, and there is no hope, when in reality we know that Jesus was the ultimate victim, died on a cross, so that we could be free from the power of evil. Okay? Do you hear me? Because there's this tendency in you and in me to go back to lever pulling, and I could just pull the right lever. I can get her, him to do what they're supposed to do. And I don't want to change, dang it. Because it's not my fault. Everyone's looking at their shoes, arms crossed. Okay, keep moving. All right. All right. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones. Now, you, you read thrones all throughout Revelation. Usually it's talking about the thrones of the 24 elders that are hanging out in heaven. But as you're going to see, heaven is still in heaven, and earth is on earth. And I think these are the, the ones whom God has given power and authority to on earth during the thousand-year reign. And so the 24 thrones that are surrounded the throne of heaven are still in heaven. Okay? So that's my view on that. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded... For the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Okay, so we remember we've made a big deal about those who were martyred during the tribulation. That's who he's talking about. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. So 666 was a, you get a bold mark on the forehead, maybe a more discreet one on the hand, but that's how you bought and sold during the realm and era of the beast because he ultimately wanted you to worship him. And to get that, you had to, that was an act of worship. Don't worry. You will know if you're ever, this is for the future because this is not for you. We believe that the rapture comes. But if you are a person, right, who is going to be watching this at some point, it will be an act of worship to take the beast's number and you will know that. Okay. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years ended. All the wicked don't get to reign with Jesus on earth for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, over such the, death, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, this is where people go, Chris, Chris, come on. Is it really, really literally a thousand years? How many times do we reread thousand years? Like five, okay? So I get it. Listen, there's a, you can be a Christian and still believe that it's not, it's just a metaphorical thousand years. That's just a nice way of putting a long time, short time, because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I get that, but man, what else are you going to take? The whole Bible then becomes figured. You can't take anything literal at that point, all right? So that's just for free. I, listen, thousand years, it's a thousand year reign. Okay, now, Christians rejoice. Jesus has power over death because the ones that were martyred, right? The ones that died for their faith, they, they, their lives were pretty miserable and they come back to life, which means that this life is not all there is. And this, like, listen, if you are sort of mourning the loss of a loved one, 
I want just, there's great hope. If, if they believe in Jesus, then not only um, will you see them again, their life is way better than yours right now. And one of the things I tell people all the time, the reason why you mourn and grieve is not for them, it's for you. You guys know that, right? That's why, you know, Christians in general call it a celebration of life and not like a funeral. I mean, we all, we're not, it's not a semantic war, but it's a celebration of life. In fact, I'm going to a... Uh, celebration of life this coming Saturday for a friend of mine who uh, brought me in to do prison ministry. And some of the phrases that you hear me say, like, uh, all people come to Christ in a crisis, that was from him. Like, he taught me that. He preached that. I I cut my teeth in preaching in prisons uh, because he brought me in to follow him, mentor me, develop me. His name was Bill Glass, and he played football back in the 50s and 60s, and the rest of his life was dedicated to preaching the gospel. And I'm so grateful for for his influence in my life. And when we go... uh, on this Saturday, it's going to be a huge celebration, and we're going to be high-fiving everybody there, and sure, there will be some tears, but not for um, the fact that for, for Bill, because Bill is doing way better, it's, the, it's for us and the cool memories that he had, the people's lives that he touched and transformed, and impact that he had. That's why we sing the songs, right? Because we don't grieve like people who have no hope. Like, when we sing the song, it's not because we're like, God, help me get the best out of the short time I got because it stinks here. Right? Nobody sings that song. <laughs> like, nobody's singing that one, probably because I'm just a really bad melody. But like, the reality is, like, nobody's singing that because that's not hope. That's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Or, like, you know, maybe 10 years ago, YOLO, right? Like, this is like... The reality is like nothing has changed over time. Everyone goes like, just live once, so let's go do it. Everybody gonna, is going to spend eternity somewhere. Do you guys know that? Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. And this is, what, this is the part that gets offensive. Can I, just, can I be offensive? This is what I do. I, I offend people on a regular basis. So th- if you are like a person who's like, listen, Chris, what you're saying is true. All my, and this is usually when I... Um, share the gospel in, a, in an Indian context, Hindu context, uh, I get pushback here because I say, what you're saying is all of my relatives, all the people that I care about are in hell. And I can't accept your Christianity because, because what it would mean for me is that all my relatives that I know, uh, that I know are not with Jesus and I need to mourn all over again for them because life is not good. To which I unapologetically, but at the same time, sensitively, how you can do that, I don't know. But you do as best you can. You go, I love you, but our God is good, he is just, and he is holy. And there is truth that Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. That would divide what? Mother from father. Families. And make you choose. Like, are you going to follow Jesus? We're going to follow your own realm that you made up. My ancestral family, I want them in my own world. And so I won't follow Jesus. I won't go for eternal life in heaven with him and surrounded by his love. I would rather say no to that because I have a lot of pride in my heart and I don't want to bow the knee. 
So, so at least you know why. And I, listen, I appreciate that because here's, here's what I, I love about that is at least we're talking the same language and we're not trying to like, and here's the dirty little secret of Christianity. Because I think at some point we, we kind of, <laughs> we're like, I don't want to tell you the whole truth because it might be scary. Well, no, the reality is it is scary but because there is a God who designed us, loved us, and he, and he figured out death, defeated it. And it has an eternity with him. And we're like, nah, I'm good. And so I feel like that's what happens for us when we push back against the truth of Jesus' love for us. Okay. Now, last portion of scripture. Here we go. Verse seven. And when the thousand years are ended, there's that thousand years again. Trust me, it's a thousand. Satan will be released from his prison. Okay. Okay. Again, can we go back to this? Why? <laughs> like, you just won. We don't need a redo. All right, let, let me try and best explain this, what God is doing. And again, since I don't have the mind of God, I can't know, but this is my best guess as to why he would put Satan in a prison for a thousand years and be like, hey, come on out and party. Here's why. Some of us think we're all basically good people, Right? Well, I'm pretty much a good person. You're a good person. And if left to our own devices, we're going to figure it out, love one another. Now, there's a few bad apples that ruin the whole bushel. I get it. But here, I want you to hear this. There's a thousand years where God is going to say, I'm going to show you a thousand years where you have the best government ever, where Jesus is king. He literally knows everything. Transportation never has like, there's no supply chain issues. All buses, subways, trains, planes, and automobiles run perfect. There is never a health care crisis. There is never a homeless crisis. There is no, nowhere is justice ever wrong, ever. If there is ever somebody who did wrong, they get exactly the right punishment because Jesus is king, okay? Okay? Now watch. I mean, perfect government, perfect. You couldn't elect anyone better than this because he designed it all. Now watch. So, so he's going to bring Satan out after a thousand years, after he had a thousand years of perfection. And Satan doesn't go around wrecking shop. What is, what's Satan's job? Deception. Okay, watch. And will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. And he'll do it. Because you aren't that good. In fact, you are depraved and sick and twisted. And the heart is deceitfully twisted, which is why most of the time in Christmas, you're trying to get yours. As long as, and we, remember, we want everyone to get by. We just don't want everyone to get by us. And so, remember, so then we got four corners, then Gog and Magog. Now, if, if you're not familiar, you know, Gog, I know that you probably, some of you named your kids Gog and Magog because um, you know the story so well. But Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells us who Gog and Magog are. Gog was a king. Magog was the city. So it's saying like, at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, they were the enemies of God back in Ezekiel 38, and they come out and surround the great city, and then God's people win. And so uh, Gog, the rulers, Magog, the nations, are going to come to battle uh, God. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Zion, okay, where King Jesus is ruling from. 
And again, this is where you're like, it looks like it's going to be a huge battle. All right, this is where like the movie, you know, the minor chords start happening all over the place. And you've got like the symphony kind of like build and there's like a battle to come and you think a rallying speech by Jesus or something. But no, but Jesus goes, oh, just kidding. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them and done. Okay, that battle's over. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the prophet, false prophet were. So remember, he's deceived sands of the seashore type numbers of people all over the earth, all over the planet. And they then battle and they will be tormented day and night. Or the, so the beast, uh, Satan, and the false prophet, they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, to which you're like, okay, fair for them. They're the bad guys. Then verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Who's seated on it? Jesus, good. And uh, from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Okay, we got books. Okay, book of life list of names, kind of big registry, who, who believes in Jesus, who doesn't believe in Jesus. And the other books are the books of your deeds, which is, always makes me a little nervous when Jesus says, every careless word will be judged. And you're like, mm, every careless one? I mean, like, how many are we talking here? Like, no, no, every word. Okay, and the, de- and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. To which you're like, man, that seems pretty crazy. Yeah, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so everyone's like, I don't know if I like Christmas at Wells Branch because that makes me really nervous. All right, so Christians rejoice. Jesus has power over hell. And this gets, this is like, yeah, that's the great news. And this is, this is the part where everyone gets sort of confused. Remember, remember, this is where we generally go, we're all basically good people. Why is Jesus so angry at all these people? No. Remember, let's go back real quick. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, it's like Christmas, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then 3, uh, 17, essentially, is that uh, Jesus is coming uh, to, not to judge the world, but to save the world, which is sort of a weird thing because in other parts he says he's coming to judge the world, but no matter. Then 3, 18 is where he said, because the, the world was condemned already. The world's condemned, I'm ready. You are on a pathway to hell unless Jesus saves you. Now, li- listen, here's, this is what, but this is so much love from Jesus. Do you know that God demonstrated his love for us in this, in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? Wow. Jesus loves the hell out of you. Yeah. I feel like you need to wrap your head around this truth. Jesus loves the hell 
out of you. When he comes to the cross and he dies on the cross and he's actively pursuing you in the hope that he has, he loves the literal hell out of you because he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. And that's why we sing this song. Because we deserve darkness and hell, and what we got was light and truth. That's why it's good news. That's why we sing. That's why we have hope, because it's good news. Now, it's good news only if you receive it. And I think this is the part where I feel like we get so, like our lives are so busy and so st- we struggle and we got so much anxiety and we got so much stuff to do and Christmas is filled with to-do lists and struggles and hurts and heartaches and, and just hard things. I get it. It's hard. Um, recently, uh, you guys know that we have like an evangelism team that kind of goes door to door like, hey, knock on apartment doors. Hey, what's up guys? We just want to know if, uh, if there's anything we can be praying for you about. It's actually cool. We, we actually do this on our softball team, which is really weird because we're in a beer league. And so you, you play teams like the pinche hitters, which if you speak Spanish, you know what that means. Um, anyway, so it, you, you play teams and you are, uh, you, you play and after the game, all these guys come around, surround you and, uh, and we go, hey, can we pray over you? And like everyone, like, yeah. And then they kind of list off their stuff. And it's powerful that these guys who like don't go to church and don't have any desire for that would say, would you please pray over me? Which is why we do send people on evangelism uh, to go knock on doors and ask that same question, can I pray over you? And a couple months ago, uh, Robert Sass and, and, and a team went in the apartments nearby and they knocked on some doors. And, you know, usually people are like, eh. Now, oh, what are you selling? Nope, nope, nope. And but one time, just because of their patience and persistence, uh, the door opened, and a guy, another guy named uh, Robert Ortiz, answered, and he said, "Come on in." And he shared about the story of of a relationship that ended, heartbreak that ensued, brokenness that was put his heart on the floor. And they prayed over him. And Robert said, can I come back and continue to meet with you? And he said, I would love that. And he shared the gospel that Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the dead. And Robert turned his life over to Christ. Because Jesus loves the hell out of him. That he would come from heaven to earth and pull him out of the darkness and experience joy with Jesus. And so today, we're actually going to be baptizing him second service. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what we do around here, fun things. And, uh, and I want us to kind of have this heartbeat that we're like, God, what are you wanting to do? And so this morning, I want to ask this question of you. Do you have joy in Jesus? No, 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 do you? Is Jesus at the center of it all for you? Or is he like a manger scene in your life? You keep him over there, he's really cute, you pet him a couple times, and then you move on. Is Jesus the king, or is he the baby? Is Jesus in control of the evil in your world, and you're not trying to leverage your stick? Does Jesus, when even death comes, does there's a sense of peace that overwhelms you because you know that no matter what, even if the worst were to come, it's going to be okay because in the end, 
this thing says it's going to be okay, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. And is there something in your heart this Christmas that says, like, man, this is all I want. Jesus is all I want. And I want someone else to know him, be loved by him, saved from the darkness so that they might experience him. And that's my hope that is in, that hope is for you because the world is in crisis. And everybody comes to Christ in a crisis, whether that's existential, whether it's financial, relational, whatever it is, it's an emotional connection. It's all of those things. And Jesus wants to go to the very source of where you are and go, I am Lord of all. Come on. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. So this morning, um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to pray. And then we're going to watch uh, Robert Ortiz's baptism video. And after that, we're going to have a, our elder team, prayer team come up. And if you've never received Christ, I want maybe today to be the morning that you do that where your life goes from darkness to light, where it goes from black and white to color, where it goes from 2D to full-on experiencing Jesus. And I know some of you are like, I hope he's not talking about me because this is really weird. I just kind of want to leave right now. That's you. That's who he's talking to. And so you're going to have that moment and you're going to have to uncross your arms and you're like, no, I, that's what Jesus is going to do. And it goes something like this. It, you know, there's something called the sinner's prayer, but it's just acknowledging what Jesus has done and telling him, like, God, I'm a sinner. Sin against you, my thoughts, my words, my actions. I'm a broken person. And Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin rose from the dead and then you ask Holy Spirit would you come into my life make me the person you want me to be and he will anyone if you are a Christian and life has gotten hard no no it's gotten hard and emotions and struggles and darkness and hopelessness and all of that that's just broken you down I want you to remember what Jesus has done he defeated evil he's in control he's got death taken care of and he loves the hell out of you and so we're going to pray we're going to ask God to do a work in our hearts collectively and then we're going to watch and then we're going to have a response. Father, thank you. We ask and we, we come before you as humble servants saying, God, would you do something here? Would you work on our hearts? Would you work on our souls? Would we watch you do all that you have called us to do? But Jesus, I'm praying that somebody for the first time would step over that line of faith and say, Jesus, I don't care who knows. I 
need you. And you would do a work because of the existential, emotional, financial, relational crisis that they are encountering right now. And Jesus, I'm praying that you would do something for those of us here that have walked our lives and Christmas shifted somewhere in the past from being about um, bowing before the king uh, and it became about us being our own kings with the right set of circumstances surrounding us. And God, please, please, please do a great work in us. And Jesus, I'm praying that as um, after we watch this incredible story and the prayer team is present and the worship is happening that people would respond whether they're coming to faith for the very first time or needing to be prayed over and reminded of that Jesus heals all wounds Lord we worship you so in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen let's watch Jesus is the center of it all Imagine just for a moment, just let your mind go there of what would happen if when our expectation didn't make reality and just result in unbelievable question asking of what am I supposed to do, but resulted in saying, Jesus, you have power over evil. Jesus, you have power over death. Jesus, you have power over all hell. You've loved me in spite of me. Imagine just thinking like that. Imagine just the way that would change your heart and your circumstances, the way that you view the world. Imagine how that would change your marriage, your children, all the things that you're sort of experiencing right now in this season. Imagine that. It would change this church and it would change that city if we really believe that. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people who believe that Jesus has power over all evil and darkness in our circumstance. Go and be a people who believe that Jesus has power over death and do not walk in fear. Go and be a people who know and understand that Jesus loved the hell out of us. Go and push out back the darkness. Have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.